Is this the best business model in the banking industry? This is Industry Focus. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. I'm Christine Hargis, and I've got John Maxfield on the line, the Motley Fool's Senior Banking Specialist. So we've got a great show for you today, diving into this really unique business model of one particularly efficient bank. But I first want to open the show with a quote from Warren Buffett. And it goes like this. The insurance industry is cursed with a set of dismal economic characteristics that make for a poor long-term outlook. Hundreds of competitors, ease of entry, and a product that cannot be differentiated in any meaningful way. In such a commodity-like business, only a very low-cost operator or someone operating in a protected and usually small niche can sustain high profitability levels. So I bring this quote up because the banking industry is also an industry with these dismal economic characteristics that Buffett talks about. And he says that they make for a poor long-term outlook. So what he means by this description is that companies that are in the business of commoditized products often don't have the economics to really easily be able to get strong pricing power and be super profitable. And it's it's easy to see why the insurance industry fits into this category, because the only thing that differenti- differentiates uh, your offerings there is price. But if you think about it, banks are kind of the same way. You know, Money is just about the most commoditized product out there. But that leaves banks just not really able to compete on anything other than price with this undifferentiated product. So if you're an investor and you're looking for a competitive moat, you have this little bit of a conundrum. John, I've talked to you earlier about this dilemma, so I I would love to have you weigh in here and expand some more on this insight of Buffett's. In these commodity-like businesses, such as insurance companies and banks, how can one find durable competitive advantage? Well, if you just think about business in general, and particularly from the perspective of an investor, What's the objective? Well, the objective is to identify opportunities and businesses and business models that will produce outstanding returns. That is, returns that not only beat you know, other uh, competitors in that particular industry, but also is able to outperform the market at large. And that's how you become a really good investor, by identifying those. Well, when you're looking at you know, industries, there are all of these different things that factor into what's going to allow a company to outperform other companies in its industry and also also the market at large. And when you're talking about industries in particular, to your point, that are commoditized, well, then the only time, and this is a point that Warren Buffett, Buffett, his his letters are just, they're just amazing, they just have so many amazing tidbits of wisdom and, uh, and context in terms of like how to think about business. And one of the greatest things that I've come across, you know, one of the greatest kind of analyses that I've come across of his is that when you are dealing in a commoditized market where it's extremely difficult to, for the average company to generate you know, above average margins, profit margins, the difference between what you're bringing in in revenue and what you're paying out in expenses, the two really good ways to, really the only two ways to do that in, in banking and insurance, because, you know, again, to your point, money is the ultimate commoditized product because a dollar is a dollar is a dollar, regardless of, you know, whether it's like a brand new dollar or a really old dollar, it doesn't really matter. The only two ways to do that are if you're in a niche market, so you can have some type of, you know, kind of like monopoly type pricing, which expands your margin more than others. Or if you're a low cost pr- producer, is that your expenses are low relative to your revenue, 
compared to your competitors. In those two situations, and those are essentially the only two situations in a commoditized market that you can generate outsized returns. So when you're an investor in banking, that is really the starting point that you should bring to the table when trying to identify a good stock. And that leads me right into the heart of what I wanted to talk about today, which is a bank that we think has found a way to exemplify both of these criteria for long-term competitive advantage in a commodity-like industry. And that is New York Community Bank Corp. We have talked about this bank before on the show, usually in reference to its ultra-low efficiency ratio that makes it by a long stretch the most efficient bank out there. John, how have they managed this? New York Community Bank Corps is such an unusual business model. And even though it is a small bank relative to, say, your Bank of America's, your J.P. Morgan Chase's, your Wells Fargo's, and your Citigroup's, it provides almost a textbook example or illustration of Warren Buffett, that, that point that we started out the episode making, that when if you want to generate outsized returns, you got to be either in a niche market or be a low-cost provider. So then you look at New York Community Bank Corp, and you go back to the mid-1990s when it went public, it has outperformed, when you take into consideration dividends, stock buybacks, and share price appreciation, it has outperformed every big bank in the country by a large margin. I think on their website, they say that their total return over the past roughly 20 years has been something like 4,200% or somewhere in that area. Now, the data I've always come across is, is put it up in like the 38, 3,900%. But either way, it has even dramatically outperformed U.S. Bank Corps. And U.S. Bank Corps is probably the best run, really large bank in the country. So the question is, well, how has New York Community Bank Corps been able to generate these outsized returns even against the best in the business like U.S. Bank Corps? And the reason is that it focuses on a very specific niche in the lending market. It lends money primarily to owners of large, multifamily, rent-controlled buildings in the New York metropolitan area. And why this works so well, well, there's two reasons this works so well. The first is that, as opposed to, say, a Wells Fargo that has to have literally thousands and thousands of branches spread across the United States, which are really expensive to run in order to serve its consumer deposit base and consumer lending base, by focusing on just many, many fewer um, potential customers, but larger uh, customers, New York Community Bank Corp is able to produce a, the same amount of revenue on, 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 a, on a size-adjusted basis as a large consumer bank at considerably lower expense. And even more important than that, or at least equally important to that, is the fact that because they are lending money on buildings that are rent-controlled in the New York metropolitan area, when the economy turns down and other apartment owners and other you know, uh, owners of real estate would see their vacancy rates shoot up and then make it difficult for the owners of those buildings to surface their loans, which would then lead to higher default rates, because there's always a demand for rent-controlled buildings in New York because it costs so much to live there, the cash flow on these buildings basically stays the same regardless of whether the economy is down or up. And that means that those owners can service their loans through all stages of the credit cycle, which means that New York Community Bank Corps basically has zero loan losses, even when even in the worst of scenarios. And we've seen that throughout history, that their, their record of loan losses is insanely good. 
That's exactly right. So if you let, let's use kind of a, a comparison point. So Wells Fargo, okay, and again, if you're looking at national lenders, your Wells Fargo's and your U.S. Bancor are the absolute best. And if you look at Wells Fargo, it's yeah, I can't remember if it was the CFO or the CEO said, look, through all stages of the business cycle, we generally try to not lose any more in our loan portfolio than point. 33% of our total loans, right, when, it, when things turn really bad. Well, if you look at New York Community Bank Corps, through all stages of the credit cycle, I mean, it's lost something like four basis points, which is like 0.04% of its loans to credit losses. So, I mean, it, it just dramatically, this is a business model, allows it to just dramatically outperform even the best in the business in this regard. So it seems like with such a very specific business, they would be pretty small. But from what I understand, that's not the case. How large is this bank? Okay, so you've hit on a really, really important point about New York Community Bank Corps right now. Oh, good. So it, it, it's assets. I'm sure you knew that. You're, Christine, you're very smart. So you, <laughs> I'm sure you knew that way ahead. I didn't, probably didn't even need to say that. But um, if you look at its assets on its balance sheet, it has about $48 billion worth of assets. Now, that is a big bank, right? But it's, not, it's nothing like your $2.2 trillion Bank of America, your $2.5 like $2.6 trillion J.P. Morgan Chase. So it's, but it's, so it's relatively small compared to those, but compared to most other banks in the country, it's, it's very large. But that $48 billion is so important because it's just $2 billion underneath the $50 billion threshold, which after a bank crosses that threshold, they are considered a systematically important financial institution, a SIFI. Another way of saying that, or kind of the lamest term for that, is that they are then, quote, too big to fail, end quote, right? And so once a bank is classified as too big to fail under the Dodd-Frank scenario, that means that they are subject to higher capital requirements and higher regulatory and compliance costs. So that makes a bank much less efficient. So New York Community Bank Corp, they've been struggling to figure out like, well, so here we are right under this threshold. We don't want to just pass it because normally a bank would just organically grow a few percent a year and that would put it past that $50 billion threshold. But New York Community Bank doesn't want to just slightly pass it because then it'll have all that additional expenses with just a tiny bit more revenue. What it wants to do is do a transformative merger. So a large merger or acquisition that will, to the point, transform the business in such a way that it will be much larger and it will have the economies of scale that are, that are necessary to then absorb those additional costs while still staying as profitable. So that is the whole conversation. If, you're listen, if you listen to a New York Community Bank or uh, a conference call after the quarter of the earnings or if you read the transcript, that takes up a large chunk of the conversation right now among the executives. I'm sure it must. So what's the speculation out there? Has the bank said anything or have you heard any inklings of a rumor about where they might head for this sort of merger? Well, the bank, you know, it's been pretty quiet about that. And you can understand why, because they wouldn't want to, you know, maybe ignite a bidding war for a potential target, acquisition target. But it has said, first, that it's going to be a transformative merger. And second, that it could be um, a non-traditional lender. So the question is, well, what does a non-traditional lender look like? And and particularly, what is most attractive to New York Community Bank Corps? Well, if you look at its business model, one of the downsides, and this is a small downside compared to the upside for sure, 
But one of the downsides is that because it doesn't have a large consumer deposit base, it has to get its money from the money market. So it has to borrow it from you know comp- corporations that are you know buying co- commercial paper or you know selling CDs or all these other things that are much more expensive than consumer deposits. So you know, and you can see this by looking at its cost of funds, like how much it pays to borrow all the money that it has to borrow in order to support its asset portfolio. I think its its cost of funds in the most recent quarter was something like one point three seven percent, whereas a Wells Fargo, their cost of funds is like. 0.34%. So it's, it's, it's much, much larger than that. So the goal, I would think, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I would think that the goal for New York Community Bank Corps would be to pick up some type of bank or some type of company that has a large amount of consumer deposits because that will decrease its cost of funds and then make it even more profitable um, even after you take into consideration the higher regulatory and compliance costs associated with being a SIFI. So wouldn't, at that point, they wouldn't have that advantage anymore of not having to maintain all these bank branches. Why do you think that they would abandon that just to get that cost of funds a little bit lower? Well, that's, that's a great question. So you can have, there is a, another kind of niche business model in the banking industry that has a lot of low-cost deposits or a lot of consumer deposits that are low-cost relative to the money market, but doesn't have an extensive branch base, and that is online. That is that your online banks, your bank of the internet, is probably um, your textbook example of that. And so I would think that, and I again, let me be clear, I could be completely wrong on this, but I would think that if a, a, a you know a bank like New York Community Bank or would be looking at something along those lines, where you get the deposits, the good from the deposits, but you don't have the bad from that extensive branch network. That would certainly be a transformative merger. It would be, and it would take New York Community Bank Corp. I mean, if you think about it, like, right, this is just, and, and if you listen to the conference call, I love it. I mean, these guys are, like, from New York. I mean, these are, like, New Yorkers, right? So, like, you'd have these guys, like, going out and buying, you know, maybe an online lender or something, or an online uh, depository institution. These just hardcore New Yorkers, and then just kind of funneling that money into then uh, allowing it to fund you know, the purchase of these multifamily uh, rent-controlled units in the New York City metropolitan area. So, so New York would, would owe all of us, you know, west of the Mississippi. I know you're, you're over there on the East Coast, Christine. <laughs> you're pretty fancy. But um, they all, owe all of us regular folk a big thank you. So when do you think that these hardcore New Yorkers are going to make this move? That, that, that remains to be seen. What, what they said on their most recent call is that, look, we're going to, you know, they've evidently identified, or it sounds like they've identified some you know, pers- prospective targets um, that they are interested in, but they want to make sure that they, you know, cross all their T's, dot all their I's and cross all their T's on a regulatory level before they go to the regulators and ask them to increase, uh, to, to pass that SIPI threshold. Now, the second thing to keep in mind is that there is a bill working its way through Senate right now that would actually increase that specific threshold or the too big to fail threshold from $50 billion to $500 billion. And if that bill goes through... Wow, that would be a game changer. It would be a total game changer. And, and, and to be honest with you, that's probably the appropriate thing to do. Um, and it would only leave six banks you know, that would then be considered too big to fail um, but if that threshold changes, then that would open it up to for New York Community Bank Corp to really do a merger or, or acquisition at any point in time. But if that doesn't go through, um, then you know they, they'll work much more slowly and methodically and make sure the regulators are okay with the decisions that they're making. Wow, I mean, lots to keep an eye out for coming up. Looks like that's exactly right. And and just to just 
you know, we're wrapping up. It sounds like we're wrapping up, but just to just um, make sure that everybody understands exactly the significance of New York Community Bank Corps, it proves again that you know Warren Buffett is right that if you want to generate outsized returns in the bank industry, you've got to invest in a bank that either has a niche market, some type of niche market that allows it to to provide or to earn large margins on its revenue, or it's got to be a low-cost producer. If you identify those, you will find a bank that will generate much larger returns over the long run than its competitors. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, New York Community Bank Corps exemplifies both of these things, which is pretty awesome. If you guys, listeners, in your research find any others that you think are just as good and you know follow what Buffett is saying for the best way to generate these outsized returns, let us know. I have said this before, I'll say it again, but we love hearing from you. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com. Shoot us an email. John, thank you so much for being here and for all of your insight. As always, looking forward to talking to you next week. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 